Well, I think it all began with the colonization and Western European uh, believing in their supremacy over people of color. Before someone meets me, they already have a really good idea of what we are, right? Like some bannock eating, beer drinking, fighting, I don't want to go to work type people, right? One main thing they always said was like dirty Indian or like welfare bum because they knew we were on welfare. This is supposed to be Canada, the land of the freedom and the land for justice. But for us, it seems that there's no justice for us. You know, and, and it all goes back to racism because when you take away everything else, you know, we're getting just as well educated, we're just as intelligent, we're just as good looking. So when you take all that away, what's left? race and that's why we're discriminated against for a long time like i just figured yeah i'm not indian i'm that person so i kind of lived up to it right the united nations said that canada was about sixth on the scale of best places to live in the world unless you're aboriginal then it was 63rd that's shocking I am a single mom of five boys. Did you guys have a good day at school today? No. Yeah. Are you good to your teacher? Yeah. Yeah? The only ones that I have is my kids. Those are the realest ones on my team. They give me, like, motivation without them. Probably would have just been doing what my brothers do, my mom does, drink or do drugs, try and numb the pain, but I don't want that. Everybody always says, what, you have five boys? Well, how, how do you do it? I'm like, I don't know. I want to be able to be that person to break the chains and, and make change for my family. I want my boys to be successful. is like a rare gem and that they should actually have more places like build to push people to do better and to make them do better like give them the tools that they need in order to succeed in life Good evening. How are we doing? Good. My name's Natalie. What's your name? It was weak. A little bit. It's all right. Um, I'm really excited to uh, get to share with you in this series. Um, have you enjoyed 12 Neighbors? Have you been challenged by 12 Neighbors? Um, I certainly have uh, myself, but I've really appreciated uh, the material that we've gotten to kind of dive into uh, as a community, and I think that which challenges us can only make us better and more understanding of those around us, and so um, this week I was given just a really easy topic, uh, which is understanding the systems of social injustice. <laughs> 
really easy, just casual topic. Uh, and, you know, I, I knew that this was coming for about a month um, and have been trying to do my best to research, to learn, to talk to those who don't look like me, who don't sound like me. Uh, and really, it's provided a great opportunity for education. And so I'm not here to uh, necessarily preach at you. I think we're all learning, right? And so there's grace for that uh, in this space. I'm really just here to kind of reveal to you the things that I've learned over the last little while, really over the last few years um, of my life and trying to um, understand the things that are happening around me um, and, and how others live, what others are plagued with and have to endure. And so I'm just going to share a little bit about that. Tonight we're in this together, all right? So don't leave me hanging, okay? I know that I'm the one with the mic, but uh, I think that we all uh, would do better if we learn together tonight. And so um, I just wanted to start with um, some scripture. Is that okay? So I'm going to read to you from uh, Matthew 22. This evening you'll see it on the screen behind me. This is from the message translation because it's my favorite. Uh, and so if that's not what you have with you, don't worry. It'll be um, up there for you to read. It says this starting in verse 34. When the Pharisees heard how he had bested the Sadducees, this is talking about Jesus, they gathered their forces for an assault. One of their religion scholars spoke up for them, posing a question they hoped would show him up. Teacher, which command in God's law is the most important? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important the first on any list, but there is a second set alongside of it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are pegs, and everything in God's law and the prophet hangs from them. Isn't that good? We pray with me just before we start. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you uh, for the way uh, that it draws circles around, uh, around us with love uh, and challenge. And so, God, tonight as we look uh, to your voice to understand more about uh, the world that we live in and the people uh, that we get to rub shoulders with, God, would you uh, do something in this room tonight? Would you transform us? Would we be willing to hear, not from my voice, but from the voice of God, may we hear from your voice? Um, may we not be scared for the times that you challenge us, that you don't uh, necessarily agree with what we're saying or thinking. Uh, in your compassionate way, uh, may you lead us forward so that we can love our neighbor um, as well as they deserve to be loved with abundance and understanding and patience and kindness. And so we give you this time to move. Um, we ask these things in your son Jesus' name. We all said, amen. So the topic for this week, like I said, is understanding the systems of social injustice. Very light, casual. Um, so what I thought I would do, because this is kind of how I learned, this was a process I went through, was I thought about it in a couple different chunks. Because I think that that's a large statement, just to kind of take on holistically. And so what I did first was I did a little bit of studying on understanding, okay? So we're just going to do that first. We'll look at social injustice later, and at the end we're kind of going to bring it all together. Does that sound good? And so when I started thinking about understanding 
and what that has to do with this whole process, I think that really understanding is a huge part of the human condition. As humans, we're naturally curious, right? Kids' favorite question to ask is, why? It's also one of my favorite questions. I'm 32, but I still <laughs> ask my parents, why? Um, they say, because. Classic parent. Scripture talks a lot about knowledge and wisdom, right? And the pursuit of how both of those things can affect us in positive or negative ways. And as humans, we're always taking in information, even if you don't think you are. Um, I stand here as me. I'm limited by my experiences, by who I am. Does that make sense? And so even when I'm not trying, I'm still seeing the world as I see it. And even when I'm not trying to think about what's happening in a situation or around me, I'm still observing and making decisions on the things that are happening around me and in front of me and to me, right? And so we're constantly doing this work. Now, I know that some of you are going to roll your eyes at this, but I, um, does anyone speak Enneagram in here? A little bit, maybe? Okay. We own it. The people who love Enneagram are like, yeah. Um, I'm a type five, which is called the investigator. Enneagram is just a way to kind of understand yourself a bit better. It's not anything weird. Um, it's actually quite helpful. And so investigators, does anyone love to think here? Like you just find great solace in just thinking about all of the things. It can kind of go haywire because you get a little bit anxious and you overthink and you can't sleep and all that kind of stuff. But I love to investigate. And part of the reason why for a type five is our greatest fear is being useless. And so I don't like when I'm not good at something. You can ask my friends. One of, my, one of the things that my parents taught me as a kid not to do was say, I know, after they asked me a question. Because they were like, no, you don't. No, you don't know. But it's just such um, that my go-to is I don't want to be caught not knowing something. Okay? And so here's an example of how uh, the life of Natalie works. Um, when I was younger, I used to do horseback riding. I don't really know why. I, like, I don't know. Parents just sometimes sign you up for things, and you're like, all right. So I did this for, like, three years, and I got to the point where, like, I had, like, the cool pants with, like, the padding, um, and I was starting to jump. Not myself, but, like, the horse. <laughs> I learned how to jump much sooner. Uh, and so I feel like I was in fairly, like, I was not, like, an expert, I would say, but, like, I knew what I was doing. I knew how to, um, you know, harness a horse. I knew how to put the saddle on. I knew how to brush them after, um, that kind of stuff. Like, I got in far enough that I kind of knew things. And so fast forward to uh, just this year, um, I went horseback riding, and I was really excited, not necessarily to go horseback riding, but as uh, on type five, I was excited that I knew how to go horseback riding. Because when, when people around me, I feel like they don't know something that I know, I'm like, because <laughs> then I get to teach you, and I get to teach you the way that I know it, which is very unhealthy for the people around me. I think my good friends are, are like kind enough to be like, oh, sure, and humor me. But, um, and so I went with a group of friends, and um, I was the last to get on my horse, I think. 
and I just forgot like to actually like pay attention. And so when you're getting on a horse, you, you have to think about like your center of gravity, where your body's going. Like it looks like one fluid motion, but you really have to like pay attention to what you're doing. You're getting on a huge animal. Um, and so <laughs> I just really didn't like think about it in the moment. I was more thinking about like how awesome I was gonna be. And I didn't, like, when you get on, you're supposed to kind of stay low. And I didn't. And I literally flew over the side of the horse. And, like, the fall was long enough that I had time to think, frig. <laughs> and so, <laughs> honestly, in my life, I would way rather be physically hurt than emotionally embarrassed. And so... As a kid, I was often hurt, but what that meant was I was embarrassed, right? And it, like, manifested into, like, no, my foot. And so I got up super quick, and the person, God bless her, who was helping me was literally, like, frozen because she was, like, weird. <laughs> and I was, like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I, and I did get back on, and I did it correctly the second time around. But... That feeling of, of her having to correct me and be like, okay, here's how you get on a horse. And guess what I said? I know. <laughs> and so I had to learn in that moment that you still have to be teachable. Even when you think you know something, there's always still something to learn. There's always still further to go not to necessarily be better, but just kind of get it. And so, enjoy that story. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> so, when it comes to understanding, I think I just wasn't coming at it from the right angle. Because when we think of understanding, we want to know that we're right. Right? We want to get it right, and that's how we understand things. That's how we're taught in school, to understand math. You've got to do it this specific way. And I was like, none of the ways make sense when it comes to math. Like, there are just things that um, in life, it's not understanding it to be right that makes us understand something. Does that make sense? Maybe, a okay, I know it's a little fuzzy, but just stick with me. So as I was kind of thinking about it and praying about it with God, um, he talked to me in this language said, I am not asking you to fully understand everything. I am asking you to be understanding, okay? I am not asking you to fully understand things, which for me, I was like, that's rude. <laughs> I thought you made me to understand. I didn't ask you to fully understand everything. I asked you to be understanding. And so we look at the example of the Pharisees whose job it is to be right, Okay? Their faith was grounded in rightness so that other people could have wrongness. And let me tell you why you're wrong. Does that sound familiar a little bit? And that's not sustainable when it comes to faith. And so I looked at their example of faith and thought, well, what's missing? And what's missing is compassion and the motivation for why they're trying to understand is a little skewed. They didn't want to understand to, you know, be 
uh, a better person for those around them. They wanted to best Jesus. They wanted to prove him wrong. They wanted to catch him in a hypocritical statement. They wanted to point out why he was wrong. And so their motivation for understanding was not healthy or beneficial for the people around them or even themselves. To have the motivation to want to prove someone wrong because of your rightness is just a really dangerous slope to get caught on, okay? And so it's challenging. There are many times where I've been in this spot. I love to be right because I like it's security for me. I know I'm on the right path. I know I'm doing the right thing. I'm not saying it's necessarily a bad thing, but I don't think it's necessarily a good thing either. Does that make sense? And so thinking about that, God asking me to be understanding and putting that against scripture, I think I just saw new things that I had never seen before. What are my, what's my motivation in understanding? So to be understanding means that you're on a pursuit, certainly to have knowledge to be more wise, but it also means that you're compassionate first, which means you are open to listen and not make judgment and to defend what you think first. What I love about Jesus is, yes, he taught, and yes, he was sarcastic, and I love it. He got a little sassy with people from time to time. But he always listened, and he always took into account who was in front of him. It wasn't about winning with Jesus. It was about the person, right, and helping them see their worth. And so when it comes to understanding, we have to know that we are not going to know everything. And God will teach us the things that we don't understand, maybe through people who are different than us. Right? God's voice speaks through people, right? Not the only one who thinks that. And so I think, as I got thinking further into this, I think one of our greatest epidemics in our society is being misunderstood. There are so many people who feel misunderstood, who don't feel seen, or heard who have had things happen to them that we don't understand because of our life and what we've been through. Does that make sense? And so the work that stands before us is not one of fixing, but I think it is one of listening. Listening with a willingness to hear, not only because God asked us to, but because we really have a desire to be part of a solution for someone else. And so my pursuit of understanding should not benefit me or just me. It should benefit others around me. It's a tall order. I have not done this perfectly. I can stand here transparently and tell you that I haven't always listened to other people, that I've been defensive because of how their story makes me feel. It's hard to hear others' hurt and pain and what has happened to them not because of their own doing, but because of who they are. But will I spend the rest of my life doing this work? Absolutely, because it's important. Is that okay? You're still good? Okay, it's a little quiet. So let's talk about social injustice a little bit. And I wanna just say, this isn't a disclaimer or anything like that, but this is a huge topic 
there are layers of complexity here. There are many different perspectives and stories. There is heritage and history. And I felt daunted because I felt limited. Because to be honest, as a white person, I just felt like there are things I just don't understand about the world around me. And I don't feel equipped or to be the one to voice those things. And so I am just going to do my best to share with you. If you disagree, that is totally okay. If this makes you uncomfortable, that probably is a little bit of a good thing. If you walk away thinking, that's the purpose, is that you walk away mulling things over with God. And so the main, like I said, the main focus of this week was to educate and to spend time doing research and engaging in conversations. And as I prayed um, and I was trying to seek out God, what can I offer in this conversation um, of understanding the systems of injustice around us, God helped me to realize that I had been limiting my own understanding. And what God pointed out to me was I was trying to understand these systems from out here looking at the system, but what God made clear to me was you have to know where you are in the system to understand a system, right? And so that's hard work. So I was like, oh, okay, at first, that makes sense. But when I started doing it and when I took stock of the times in which the system benefited me and oppressed others, um, I had to see times when uh, pow my power removed the power of another. I had to be willing to see the system for what it is, a power struggle, essentially. Um, approving of rightness and the hurt that has been caused for many. God alone with other friends, like I said, who don't look like me or have my experience have helped me to understand that I don't know what I don't know until I know it. And I'm not going to know unless I ask, unless I seek out another's experience and try to learn from it. Does that make sense? Really, it just took a willingness and an open heart to do the work. And I think that that's, that's true for all of us. And so what I learned from God in the realm of social justice was injustice was um, that we are meant to see the unfairness around us, but we are not meant to look away. And I think for a lot of us, we think it's too big. I was just talking to a friend about this. There's so many layers, so many people, so many things. We turn on the news and we just sigh and just think, like, what can I do? And we look away, and it's irresponsible because there are people who cannot look away. And maybe you are someone who, who is in a circumstance who you cannot look away. Jesus often talked to his disciples out of seeking out a formula or who's the best at this. Anytime Jesus was trying to teach them a concept, they were like, well, I'm going to be the best at that. Or who do you think is going to get to do that, Jesus? Or who's going to be first in line? And Jesus is like, in his kindness, you are totally missing the point of what I'm trying to teach you. This life that you live with me is not a formula. It gets messy. It gets confusing. There are things you're not going to understand. 
but you are still meant to seek out solutions for the unfairness around us and in us that we deal with. And so loving your neighbor as you love yourself, that stands next to the greatest commandment that God gave us. To love me and to love those around me. And I think we love ourselves quite a bit, right? I'm pretty great. And when I make a mistake, I am ever so graceful to myself, right? But when another stumbles or when another has injustice done to them, it just gets harder because it's outside of our own experience. And so we have to do the work to get to know someone, to get close enough to hear them. And Jesus never did things from afar. And so we must look around us. Who are we surrounding ourselves with? Whose stories are we hearing? Because Jesus didn't always surround himself with the disciples. In fact, he sent them off quite a bit to go do their own thing and try and learn with each other. And he surrounded himself with the people who were considered other. And so that should be teaching to us. So here's how I want you to think about it. Um, I was having a conversation with a very smart friend of mine. And she was talking about thinking about this in, in context of a house. So think about a house, maybe your house. Um, I've got friends who love hospitality. They love um, having people over. They get food ready, more food than you could ever want, the drinks, all of the things. And they clean their house as if it looks like that on a normal day. It does not, that's a lie. <laughs> For some of us, it does. And what's cool about that is, yes, you are welcoming people in. You are giving people a space to be. We love that, right? We love being invited over and kind of being doted on. But we've got into this habit as a society that people have to come into our context for us to do life with them or for us to do hospitality or for us to care or for us to hear. And there's a reason why when the church started in its grassroots forum with Jesus and the disciples that there was no facility, that Jesus really didn't have a homestead, and that when he commissioned them to go out into the nations, he sent them to the people, not to have power and authority over, but to go out with God's love and power to see them, to be with them, to understand their context. Does that make sense? And so <laughs> I think sometimes our neighbor is a bit of a stranger for us. We wait for people to come into our context. We love the people in our house well because it's easy. For me, if something happens to my brother who lives in Toronto, I would be on a, a plane in a heartbeat. Do I have the money to do that? No. But we would make it happen, right? Because they're who we deeply love. And we move mountains for the people we love. And until we feel that burden for the people we don't know, this will not change. And so how do we get broken and stay broken for the people around us who, yet, who we don't yet know, maybe, or who we know just enough to know? 
We don't know what we don't know until we know. And if we are not curious in a loving way about the people around us, we will just continue to be in our own little house, wondering why no one is coming to see us. And so we have to do this work. We talk a lot about how Jesus is invitational, but we, along with him, are the receiving party. And so as much as it's great to be invited, how are we receiving people is what God asked me. And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) There are countless stories where Jesus received people. And we learn from them that they're super challenging. Have you ever read a story about Jesus and you're like, I can't do that? Right? They're very, very challenging. One of my favorites, though, is um, how he received the disciples. This is leading up to the crucifixion and he washes their feet. So it says um, in the scriptures, the evening meal was in progress and the devil already prompted Judas. Jesus was in a room where he knew people were going to betray him and disappoint him and go against him. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. And for weeks, I have been looking at verse 4 that talks about him taking off his robe and putting a towel around his waist. And for some of us, maybe we know that that's a status thing, right? That Jesus taking off his robe, his robe was a way that, um, I mean, Jesus didn't wear anything ornate, we know, but it was definitely a way of his disciples knowing who he was. Taking off your robe meant going from master to servant. And it was important for Jesus that he modeled this for his disciples, that those which we serve, we do not have a savior complex. We are not the hero. We are servant heart first. We serve them from that mindset and that motivation. Isn't that cool? And so I was thinking about that and thinking, what do I need to take off? What are the things that hold me back from seeing the unfairness around me, the conditions of the humans around me, what is it that I have clothed myself in or put on or have been clothed by someone else in this understanding of the things, of the things of God, things of people around me? And so what do I need to take off? Because there are things for me that, quite frankly, have just become itchy. And I just feel like they don't fit me anymore. And so, what do we need to take off? In Matthew 22, Jesus tells us to love others as well as you love yourself. And these two commands are pegs. Everything in God's law and prophets hangs from them. And so Jesus talks about pegs. And I kind of pictured it like this, you know, thinking about home and the things that would be there in the clothing, maybe the coat rack with these pegs. And everything God says hangs on the peg of love. Isn't that cool? And so I thought about it in terms of taking stuff off and hanging it on the peg of love. 
So what do you need to take off? What status are you wearing that keeps you from the people around you? What do you need to check about yourself and remove? Is it anger? Is it a lens you're wearing from something that's happened to you that doesn't let you see people around you with love and compassion? Is it privilege? Is it white privilege? What are we wearing that keeps us from our neighbor and makes neighbor other or stranger? Because if our leader, if Jesus is willing to engage in a compassionate and understanding and loving way to understand the people around him, then what are we doing? These are important things for us to think about. Does that make sense? And so I think in a lot of ways, praying leading up to this week, I think we fear social injustice talks and thinking about it because we think maybe it's the construct of a political party and we're not comfortable with it. Or it's this new and trendy thing that lots of people are angry about and we don't understand it. And listen, I am not poking fun at anything. I'm not poking fun at you and how you feel. I understand that there are complexities here, but God wanted us to beware of the broken systems around us that oppress, that are hateful, and that are not of him. It is all throughout his word that he speaks about social injustice. It is not a new thing to us. Psalm 9.9 says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Proverbs 14.31 says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Isaiah 1.17 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, and correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. And Psalm 72.4 says, May he defend the cause of the poor, of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. Psalm 34.18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Zechariah 7.10 says, Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the journeyer, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Luke 14 um, 18 to 19 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Proverb 31, 8, 9 says, Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend all the rights of the poor and the needy. Jeremiah 22, 2, 3 says, Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver the one who has been robbed from the power of his oppressor. Also do not mistreat or do violence to the stranger, the orphan, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. Romans 12, 15 to 18 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Be the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil 
evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Micah 6, 8 says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but do justice to love kindness and walk humbly with your God. Matthew 25, 40 says, The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. God cares about these things. It is from the heart of God that we must see the things that are happening to the people around us. And we must act as the church of Jesus Christ. Amen? God, we love you and we thank you for your smart and kind words. We thank you for making us aware. And God, may we see you in the faces of those around us. May we love you in the faces around us. May we look at our neighbor and see brother or sister first. Forgive us for the times that we have not seen the value in another human. And grant us the wisdom to move forward in love. Help us to be understanding these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.